Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. Well, Tamson and Dan read the paper on uh, Monday, July 10th. 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 There you go. 2023. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done over 330 yeah. podcasts. Right. So if we do a few more, yeah. you can listen every day for a year. You can. To the podcast. <laughs> Why would you? But yes, you could. You could. That's a great thing. Another thing that occurs to me since we've been doing it so long. Yeah. I wonder if we should change things up, like have a new introduction. Oh, I thought you. you I thought Rather you, than this, you're telling Stranger. me you're moving on from our marriage. I thought that's where this was going. You want a new partner? Ah, a girl can dream. Oh God. <laughs> All right. This is uh, shaky there for a minute. Yes, a new introduction. Sure, work on that. Unless you have something in mind right now. No, 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 no. no. I, I thought you would. Uh, Fight it. No, no, I'm no. I'm really? Not. Then how will people know where they are? It's, it's, Maybe they like the consistency. Hmm. So no, they always Yeah. We can talk about this offline. The same. Yeah. Uh, they're getting plenty of consistency from us. They, we're not uh, short on consistency. I know people love to hear the weather when we get on. <laughs> it's been tumultuous. No, they, <laughs> <laughs> it's been rough. It's been hard rain. It, but it's okay. You like that. You haven't been getting enough rain. So, you know, you're cool with that. I do love a good thunderstorm. Oh, well, you're the only one. But uh, good. Good for you. I, I, I like to think we have plenty of water now, so you can stop worrying about it. Um, yeah. You know, when the, when the roof's leaking, it tells you something's, something's going on. And the roof has been leaking, so uh, we're getting enough rain. That's my idea of enough rain. Or too much rain, as you might put it. So, in any event... We have, uh, notwithstanding the weather, we have been out and about, uh, strangely, quite a bit. Event really, after event. Quite well, a bit. We went to a play and a movie. And, In one and week? A, and oh, a yeah, butcher yeah, store yeah, yeah. and, uh, okay. and a fruit, all kinds of things. So we better get into it here. All right. So we saw uh, Tick, Tick, Boom at Bucks County Playhouse. We live near Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope. And... Um, you have been there more often than I have. You've established that. Well, Bucks that. County Playhouse was an old mill that was uh, in disuse. Right. In like, uh, you know, like 19, late 1920s, 30s. Yeah, you were a little girl. And right? yeah. uh, a neighborhood group got together in New Hope yeah. and uh, raised the money mm-hmm. um, to renovate this mill and create a theater. Mm-hmm. And it was quite a theater in its day because... Uh, Broadway would completely shut down in the summer because there was no AC. Right. You know, and New York was a bad place to be with no air conditioning. And so real stars came out and performed out in the country, like New Hope. Well, they were on the circuit, as you've mentioned to me, with Shady yeah. Grove and with uh, Westbury yeah, Music Yeah, Summer Theater. Theater was a whole different thing. Summer style, right? Yeah, in uh, the 30s, 40s. 50s, I think. Right. The Shady Grove was near you, and uh, Westbury Music there was near me. Well, that's even me. later. That's a, okay. That, that's slightly later as well. Mm-hmm. The uh, the big uh, um, sort of tent theaters, right. Exactly. right? Right. But this was in New Hope. In fact, in the house we live in now, fundraisers were held uh, on behalf of the Bucks County Playhouse. Right. So uh, we have before, long connections before our time. But, but you, now, now it's um, it's also. It's been through various revivals. Right. Uh, it's it struggled for a few years and now has a new, you know, operating group. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things they're putting on 
uh, is a production of Tick Tick Boom. Yeah, I mean the theater just uh, it's 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 no it's not a, a fabulously appointed theater, a fancy theater by any means. It's a very bare bones theater. Uh, and that said, it's nice enough and uh, seats a bunch of people. It, it looks to me like it seats three to four hundred people, which is uh, bigger than your than your average off Broadway theater in New York. I mean, it's a third of the size, perhaps, of a Broadway house, but it's a good well, size. Reminds me a lot of Symphony Space on the Upper West Side. Symphony Space sat nine hundred people. Nine hundred? Yeah. No. Believe me, I was their lawyer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe you had a reason for telling people <laughs> no, no. it seated nine hundred. It did. It seated nine hundred people. Sorry. Really? Yeah. But uh, but in any event, it might remind you because it's a little bit uh, bare bones. It's a little crude. It's not fabulously appointed, right? Is that what you were getting at? No, it's just a, a simple, yeah. you know, auditorium in a way. There's this, no none of that glitz, that silly glitz of the Broadway theater. This was uh, even simpler than Symphony Space. But in any event, uh, so we saw Tick Tick Boom, um, and Tick Tick Boom uh, is uh, a musical that was written by Jonathan Larson. Um, which is a very small, simple musical. Jonathan Larson became famous, as it turned out posthumously, for uh, Rent. He wrote Rent. Rent, of course, was a big sensation. Uh, and the sad story is that uh, he actually passed away. I looked at the details of this. It turns out he passed away before the first off-Broadway preview of Rent. Oh, okay. So he never really saw it performed. He passed away from an aneurysm which was misdiagnosed, as it turns out. It's a, oh. whole, it's a whole lawsuit. And he had been going to the hospital for a week before saying he was feeling weak. And he kept saying, it's, it's nothing. You're nervous. And they just missed it. Wow. And that was his only sy- symptom? Weakness? I, I don't know the details beyond that. But uh, two different doctors. He went to do it for hospitals. They wow. both missed it. Wow. And again, there was a lawsuit. But That's a shame because he was 35 years 35 old. 35 years old. So he, um, he had written... Uh, this, I, I just, just a little bit more background. He had written a, a show called Superba, um, which uh, was workshopped some years before and never quite got a, a full performance in a theater. And then he wrote Tick, Tick, Boom, which was really, in large part, the story of his experience with Superba uh, and what it was. Yeah, it started to be a, out as kind of a one-man show, right? right? Struggling, what it was to be a struggling artist in the village. Uh, trying to get a show on, trying to succeed. And, uh, you know, you can understand what the plot of that would be. And very simply performed. He used to perform perform it by himself in a one-man show. It's now performed when it is performed, which is rarely in a three-person show, as it was here. And um, very simple. Uh, so let me stop there. So what did you think of, think of Tick, Tick, Boom? Oh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, it was perfect for that venue, and it, uh, it had a good crowd there, and a nice varied crowd. Yeah. You know, sometimes you go to the theater and everybody's 15, sometimes you go to the theater and everybody's 85. And more likely and, the second, but yeah. Uh, um, and uh, this was, uh, a, you know, a good, enthusiastic mix. Yeah, uh, right. It, it was a fun production. I mean, I thought the performers were good. Um, it's like 90 minutes, no intermission. Yeah, just, just a bunch. Of, it's really a bunch of songs. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't, I don't know if we have to go into too much detail about it, but it was a fun evening. It's it's not My Fair Lady. It's not something that you would, I, I don't think it was ever expected that it would be on a, on a major stage at Broadway or anything like that. It's much simpler entertainment than that. 
but and a lot of it sounded a little bit like Rent, quite honestly. Uh, yeah, you can see how Rent builds on that oh, yeah. idea of yeah. the starving right. artist, right? <laughs> and also, you know, the sensibilities trying to write, write a rock and roll score, mm-hmm. and uh, it sounded a little bit like that um, combination between rock and roll and and, and Broadway. You know, it, it's funny in terms about connections. Um, so this does did get picked up posthumously to some degree. I mean, obviously Rent did. But um, there was a production uh, of, uh, of it on Off-Broadway in 2001 or something. And the main part was played by Raul Esparza, which you can kind of see. Yeah. Right? But you know, here's the connection. Um, they made a film. Uh, Lin-Manuel Manuel Miranda made a film more recently mm-hmm. of it. Uh, he was not in it. The main part was played by uh, Hazy's favorite, one of Hazy's favorite actors, it was Andrew Garfield. Uh, Andrew Garfield being Spider Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so there you go. Yeah. So, in any event, but we enjoyed it. We're going to come back to the theater. Uh, we went with uh, with Javier. Uh, and Mark and Mark and they gave us a tour of some parts of New Hope we hadn't seen before including in the immediate environs of the theater I didn't want to spill it because there's some secret places there yeah uh, there's a wonderful waterfall that's all I'm saying and <laughs> um, and you know we had a good time we really had a good time and I am looking forward but I thought you wanted to say that uh, in researching Tick Tick Boom and Jonathan Larson yeah you realize that you actually were acquainted with one of his former roommates. Well, I don't, I don't want to spend time on this, but you're right. It turns out that... Uh, this well, goes, you don't have to go through Well, I'll go, I can go through it real fast. Uh, in writing... In I the think controversy, you don't have no, to No, no, no. The controversy about his illness was this. Newsweek wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that a guy who wrote for Newsweek, a fellow named Greg Beals, wrote an article for them in this connection about the fact that Larson was misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. That's how it all comes together. Okay. Greg Beals, I knew well at the time, or just before that, because he was a legal assistant at my law firm. We used to play basketball together all the time. And I knew, because Greg told me, that his sister is Jennifer Beals. Flash dance. And there, there's more of that story. I'm going to stop right there. Okay, good. Uh, um, yeah, but we did a lot of other fun things. So it's six degrees of separation. It's like two degrees of separation. Okay, all right. You know, I don't, I'm not going like to get no the six. This so only, but here's the other thing. Yeah. You know, in terms of having a fun outing, we had fun preparing for the outing because we went on all these field trips. Cause, well, we couldn't decide where to eat, so the burden landed on moi. Uh, like, you, like you would enjoy cooking. Like you would you know, enjoy it. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I made a fun dinner. Yes. And uh, I had decided uh, I needed skirt steak. Yeah. And uh, the skirt steak that we've been getting... Uh, at the local grocery stores has dwindled in quality mm. and increased dramatically in price. Yeah. So uh, I've been seeing ads for a local butcher shop, mm. uh, you know, about 24 minutes away or something like that. So I thought we should go to a butcher shop. I have not been to a butcher shop since Tish above. Since I knew you were going to say that. Um, for a long, long, yeah, right. long, long time. I've just been buying, right. you know, meat at the grocery store. And uh, so we searched out this place, and it was kind of fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just in a very unassuming, like, cement stucco building on the side of the road off of 611. Yeah. And um, it, uh, they had everything. They had nose to tail, baby. 
and uh, either it was fresh or it was in the freezer. I mean, we saw sweetbreads, we saw brains, we saw, you know, burgers. You're not we helping yourself with brains. Buffalo yeah. tomahawk. Tomahawk steaks, yeah. Steaks. Yeah. And uh, I had never heard of a buffalo tomahawk steak. And it turns out just one will set you back 75 bucks. Yes, but the point and they is... they had chicken, this, they had chicken livers. But this place generally wasn't a duck. fancy place and it wasn't expensive, actually. But they had... Everything. It was amazing how much they had. Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't expensive. It wasn't uh, a foofy place at all. No, it, it wasn't was very, exclusive at all. Uh, you know, it was very down to earth. And the funny thing, right on the good. front counter, when you order your meat, they had a display of animal crackers. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was an odd sort of It was of winning in many ways. Yeah. Um, so it was fun to go there. I can see going back. And meat is different when it's a little bit fresh. Yeah. Actually, it was quite different mm-hmm. in appearance. From the grocery store meat. I mean, grocery store, they used to at least um, uh, kind of break it down a little bit and package it Mm -hmm. uh, in the store. Mm -hmm. Now that's all done far away. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, it was different. And and I think we all thought the meat was uh, good quality. Yeah. 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 So So I look forward to going back to an actual butcher store and the other thing was what a fine we i've been on grandson a, of a kosher butcher yourself yes you must have been delighted yeah it, it wasn't like the kosher butcher uh, store my grandfather had but uh, it was uh, it was interesting it was interesting um the other thing we were on the hunt for was because uh, we we're visiting friends of ours uh and it turns out when we went to get a beer they had uh, hams and I said, you know, this might appeal to Tams, and I have a funny feeling. And you right away jumped on. I said, that's what my dad used to drink, right? And we drank I clearly some, remember and you him. liked it. And I, I sort of knew Hams as sort of a uh, how shall we say mass appeal beverage of some it years is. ago. It's not very interruptive. Now, right? It's a very simple lager. Yeah, from Milwaukee. It's uh, right. And um, so what happened was we were looking for a place to buy that and. In the area of the butcher store, there's a beverage barn, and I had a feeling they'd have it. And sure enough, they had it. This I, I'd been to many liquor stores before, and nobody had it. And they kind of looked at me, hams, my God, it's 1937. But they said, we, I think we have it. Well, let's look for it. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking through it. They got it in the back in some strange walk-in cooler. No one's bought it for years. And what is it? A 30-pack. A 30-pack. And the guy says to me, you know, given, looking me up and down, you need help carrying that to the register. I said, no, I can do that. It's a 30-pack. And I will say it was reasonably priced, 30-pack for $18. And it's worth so it. It appealed to you in many ways. In many ways, yes. And but so the, the thing is, we had had it at somebody's house. Yeah, because no, no, I, no, I the, said the cool that. kids. I said that. Apparently, yeah. the cool kids in Brooklyn are drinking it to some extent. Well, it's like Pap Urban. But it, yeah, uh, PBR, and uh, which my dad also drank. And uh, We're not going to get into every beer your dad drank. We don't have time for no, that. No, no. But, but it just... Uh, you know, it's uh, very light. It's not especially... It's not Simple lager. Simple lager. Stick with that. Okay. Basically low in alcohol. 4.7. It's not that low. But that's not... It's compared to... Ballpark beer. The IPA things people Honey, are drinking Ballpark now. beer. 3.2. Yeah, but again, compared to all these yes. craft beers right. that... It's, uh, it's not know, an IPA. 6.7, right. 8.8. Um, it's a good summer beverage. Yes, we, we have plenty we have, plenty. we have plenty. And as you like to say, not only you can drink it, it's perfect for beer butt chicken. It is. It is. So that was a great score. So we also saw a movie uh, this week. Uh, we saw Past Lives. Now, Past Lives 
is has been highly, highly praised. It's a movie uh, about a uh, Korean woman, woman who grows up in Korea and moves at a fairly young age to the United States and then ultimately pursues a career as a writer in the United States. Actually, they emigrate to um, Canada. Oh, is that right? I didn't catch yes. that. Yes. Is that dear. right? Okay. And then she goes you to know, New I York. That. I missed that entirely. Well, she says, I emigrated twice. I thought she was in, like, in California or something. No. <laughs> okay. No. Canada. All right. Well, that's almost like the U.S. And um, in any event, um, the story that, that drives the movie is that she was, as a young girl, her best friend, let's say, was a young boy about the same age. And up to the age of 10 or 11, they used to hang out together. And they had a real connection and then, of course, once she emigrated, um, that was severed. But somehow she picks up communication with him some years later. And um, ultimately, uh, he's he still sort of uh, is carrying a torch for her. And then she's a little more inscrutable in that connection. And matter of fact, she marries uh, a man in the U.S. Uh, but ultimately, they do reconnect, she and her uh, Korean friend. And there's naturally a little tension in terms of her romantic relationship, uh, and explores how it's resolved in a quiet way. Um, so what do you think of Past Lives? I thought uh, I enjoyed it, but mm. it's a very slow, quiet film. Right. It's uh, got some very artsy aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some great, there, there are reflections, there's interesting cropping, There, you know, um, but... It is in some ways ponderous, um, and uh, you know, it, it, uh, I enjoyed it. it. Was it was kind of interesting flipping back and forth um, between Korean and English, and the different subtitles. Right. Uh, so you know, as usual, at a certain point, I'm thinking, well, I, I really can understand Korean now. You know, <laughs> like, really? like I speak it. Well, I you know. Um, I get used to subtitles, and okay. uh, so that's that's a good thing. Yeah, you know that you're not really mm-hmm. focused on having to um, translate, mm-hmm. but uh, it was very thoughtful, and uh, all in all, it was a positive experience. What do you think? I think "thoughtful" is the right word. I'd say it was thoughtful. They said it was. Ex- it's been extremely well received. It's a prize winner at Sundance. It's got a got a critics' pick from the Times. It's got a fairly high or very high. Rotten Tomato score. Um, it's not entertaining. Now, now you don't think it's entertaining. No, no. But okay. now, now, now that's not the worst. I, thing. I can understand why yeah. you'd say that. Now, the, 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 that's not the worst thing you can say about a movie. I mean, it's it's thoughtful, it's interesting, uh, but sometimes there are thoughtful movies interesting that are entertaining a little bit, and this is not entertaining even a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think. I didn't think so. I mean, I was trying to think was it. Was there any humor in the movie? And I looked at some reviews and they said, well, it's humorous. I don't remember any humor in the movie. It's just quiet. And, you know, and the woman who plays the main character, Greta Lee, is the name of the actress, is wonderful. She's very understated. She's very expressive, even when she's not saying anything. Um, Would you say it's absorbing or not? I'd say it's a couple of bricks short of absorbing. Okay. What did you think? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you do sort of get into the characters, but of course, it's not um, a typically American story with either a happy, big happy ending yeah, but or you don't, but, big tragic but, but, but ending. But we don't need that. But no, we don't need no, that. we don't need that. But, but, it, but um, it's it's paced. 
very slowly. All I'm saying is it's not like I end up really identifying with either character. Right. Or, you know, uh, being completely engaged with them. Well, I was, I thought her character was very, was compelling. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there wasn't, just wasn't that much going on in the movie that mm-hmm. you could, that would occupy your mind at all times. It's pretty much a straight line. It's a linear thing. And it's about thinking about her career and those relationships. And it stays within that very narrow band for an hour and a half. So it was a little slower than I would have thought. Okay. That's my own view. It's, you know. But it does, you know, make you contemplate what if. Yeah, that, well, that's exactly yeah, what it's about. Because that's what they're doing. They're looking at each other and saying, hmm. Well, it, it's, even, it's not even so much what if to me, although I've heard the critics describe it as what if. It, it's almost like, you know, circumstances dictate a lot of what goes on. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, who is she in love with? Who's her soulmate? Well, where is she? What is she doing? What is she looking for in life at what point? And that really is what drives her choices, even her choice of, of a husband, mm-hmm. honestly. And it, and it probably does for all. I mean, you know, life is life. And, uh, and when one considers one's romantic future, you do consider all your circumstances. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, she ended up with the right person, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure if that was the question. I'm sure. No, it's part not, of it's it is just looking at the the connections you have at different points in your life, right. and uh, she had an intense cultural connection with um, this friend from her childhood. You know, um, this common mm-hmm. the commonality of going to school together, experiencing things together, experiencing Korea together. Yeah, um, and and it just. Right. You know, well, disappeared at a certain point. It's a lot. Laura's part of the story is, is it's not even so much. Well, Whereas, you know, anything could happen if, if if they continued to live near each other. A myriad of of right. just growing up and moving apart from each other possibilities could happen. Well, but here, it just you know, the story. Evaporated. Yeah, it's Korea versus America in Laura's part in the background. The immigration. She was. She was very much uh, driven to do that. I mean, she uh, very. I much would say embraced. Western culture. I wouldn't say. Again, she didn't grow up in the U.S. Right. She grew up in Canada. Right. So oh, Canada. Okay, sorry. Okay, so right. it's... She emigrated. In other words, yeah. it's about her dealing with her Korean past. And, and really, the way, given her career goals, uh, putting it in the past. Right. And she does mention at a certain point, uh, her Korean is a little rusty. She only speaks it to her mother. Right. So you're watching the movie and you feel she's very Korean because you, right. uh, most of the movie she's speaking Korean. Right. Uh, but we don't know what's, you know, uh, rusty Korean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that, that was interesting. And uh, the other thing we did this week was uh, we went to the fireworks. Now, a lot of people make the rookie mistake of going to fireworks on July 4th. But what we do is, since we're experienced and we go to Cranberry Fireworks which is the town that we lived in for many years, we go on July 5th because that's when Cranberry gets the, the kind of deal that they can make to get uh, you know substantial fireworks at a discount price right. the day after. Right. And uh, we're not the only ones who got that memo. It's not that we didn't experience fireworks at all otherwise. I yeah. mean, we could hear fireworks almost right. every night from our house, right. from various locales, because mm-hmm. somebody, you know, some township will do it on the 1st, some do it on the 4th, whatever. Yeah. 
But so we did go to the fireworks. And it was And uh, we enjoyed it. It was fine. Yeah. It was good. It was normal. It's fireworks. Not much to say about fireworks. Yeah. Oh, they, they, we Unless yeah. you're in the firework business and you're thinking about drones. Yes, right. We saw an article in the Times that says that fireworks could be supplanted by drones. In other words, rather than shooting these explosives up in the air, just having drones with lights. Uh, that do formations. So I feel like we've been hearing about this for a while, but apparently there, you know, there are lots of changes in the firework business. Some of the bigger companies are now taking on, you know, drone are having drone exhibitions as well, combining the two somehow. Um, It's very expensive to do, but uh, I guess some places where uh, forest fires are an issue Etc. are attracted to better, more safety mm. with the drones mm. and so on. Mm. There's also the idea that you can have, um, you can advertise sponsors with the drones mm. in a way you can't with fireworks, I guess. I don't know. I know, um, but, but, but drones is, is a big investment, though. I mean, uh, they were talking about in the article about one drone show in which they have, they use 75 different drones. And with all the drones, you need people operating the drones. Right. So it's a huge deal. And drones deal. cost something. And plus there's a lot of, you have to have permits and there are regulations yeah. and fees and yeah, so to be flying around. Cranberry's not going to be putting on a drone show anytime soon. I think that's safe to say. And you know what the biggest problem is? What? No noise. Well, it's a problem. It's that I think it's a problem. Feature or a bug? Yeah, so there may be some dogs and children yeah, who just feel say, it's not like a problem. Dogs don't like the noise. But uh, I just, like I said, I, you know, I kind of like hearing the fireworks on uh, New Year's Eve or Fourth of July, yeah. and you know, and and to be at a firework when they have that big bomb, 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 you just can even feel yeah, in your body. Aren't fireworks a little bit of an environmental issue too? I mean, they ex- explode and then it comes down or something. There's pollution yeah. and you know, smoke. I don't know, but uh, who knows? Who knows? I, I, I'm not convinced. Drones. You just want over. people to know that drones are out there. There's the possibility. I've never seen it. Everybody says, "Oh yeah, I heard about that," but I don't know anyone who's actually seen a drone show. I oh, mean, I've even asked around enough. Well, you, if you watch like the nightly news or uh, something, that's, or that's you what know, I should do. Yes, or people post pictures of drone shows. Okay, I'll do like that. that. Yeah. All right. So uh, you were going to talk about some book that you've been reading by uh, a guy who used to write for for Newsday. Well, um, I guess a week or two ago, Marvin Kipman passed away. Mm-hmm. He was uh, a um, columnist on Newsday. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with him, right? Yeah. They used to write uh, television reviews as much as anything. Okay. So I wasn't particularly fil- familiar but i read the obituary yeah. so I, you know i often read obituaries and it mentioned that he wrote a book titled george washington's expense account yes and so i kind of looked into it mm. you know and it is it says by general george washington and marvin kitman pfc retired mm. and uh it's hilarious it's a fun book now, it was written a few years ago. Uh, I didn't have any trouble getting it. I bought an actual copy of it. Well, when did it uh, first come out? Like 2001. So it's not a brand new book. Yeah. Oh, copyright 1970. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Originally published in 1970. So I got a 2001 reprint. And um, it is hilarious. And, uh, you know, um, it is 
has a reproduction, a facsimile of George Washington's actual expense account that he, um, you know, presented to Congress. He said, he said, I, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want any, I don't want to be paid to be general. I don't need any kind of salary, Mm. but I'm sure you will be glad to uh, you know, reimburse me for any expenses. In fact, that's one of the things that made him a great candidate uh, to be general. Yeah. Okay. Um, because he had a lot of money. He right. was a businessman. He right. wasn't even that, you know, he didn't have any great military uh, credentials, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was six foot three, looked great in a uniform, showed up at the Continental Congress wearing his uniform mm-hmm. while everybody else is in kind of these drab brown suits. Mm-hmm. And uh, people kind of looked at him and said, wow, now that guy looks like a general, mm-hmm. you know. And um, he ends up being the general. He submits for the eight years of the uh, war a um, expense account he he has to be reimbursed for like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of expenses four hundred forty nine thousand two hundred sixty one dollars and fifty one cents okay he his salary during this period if he had taken a salary would have been forty eight thousand bucks and and it's not just it's, that it's, it's, he's it's, getting it's, reimbursed. He's it's, charging depreciation. He's charging interest. He's yeah. charging, I mean, it's just like... Hold on a second. What? These numbers have to be converted to $1970. No, 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 no. This is $480,000. It would be in, zillions. In the 18th century? Yeah. Wow. Um, so it's just kind of amazing. <laughs> it's kind of... Uh, and and it's very... It's It just hilarious the way it's written um and uh, i mean you know um kitman complain, uh, compares it to modern expense report yeah. principles yeah. and he just he relates to it because he you know submits expense uh, account reports and uh you know and he says you know um and he says that uh Washington follows about 42 of, he says there are 43 basic principles governing the art of writing this kind of thing. Washington only uses 42 of them, all right? And uh, one of the ones uh, he uh, values, um, Kitman values, is be specific on smaller expenditures and vague on the larger ones. Mm-hmm. Describe in some depth the purchase of a bowl of twine, but casually throw in the line, dinner for one army. <laughs> okay so and he and he does state that it, you know it tells you quite a de- a good amount about um washington himself like mm-hmm. where he liked to eat what he liked to eat mm-hmm. you know and uh what kind of people he hired uh you know he 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 charges for the expenses of you know a guy stabling the horses and then uh, he actually takes that guy with him from philadelphia to connecticut because he's darn good at the job and and uh, also mentions that um, uh, Washington loved numbers he was good at numbers this was his forte spelling not so much mm-hmm. and Washington had something like 32 different writers uh, for yeah for his other stuff one of the main ones you know uh, uh, Hamilton 
yeah alexander hamilton uh, so on so it's just i haven't finished it it's not a long book if you can get a copy it's kind of a fun summer read because you could just uh, you know kipman goes through and you know talks about uh, what he spent in july of 1775 and why and it's both eye-opening mm-hmm. um uh, but uh, also just, you know, written, uh, it's, it's very amusing okay. the way he writes. And uh, it's true, you know, <laughs> it's, it, the facsimile of in, you know, Washington's own handwriting and uh, edition, etc. Mm-hmm. is right there in front of you. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Maybe I yeah, I really didn't realize it was written in 1970, which is kind of fun. You know, it's just, it gives you an entirely different picture of well, George that's what I was, Washington. That's what I was, you know, and it, and it mentions, you know, things I didn't really realize. Like, he wasn't uh, close to his mother. Okay. He was not the favorite son. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you kind of think of the father of the country. He's kind of, you know, the perfect guy, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's a much more three-dimensional picture of him. He, he's a businessman. Uh, he, he's got money. He's kind of, he's fussy about his clothes. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, a lot of fun stuff. Okay. All right. Good. Maybe I'll read it. I mean, uh, yeah, you should at least look at it. It's something you can just, you know, read a paragraph here, here or there, and uh, get some enjoyment out of. Okay. Um, and now you want me to tell you about the history of pink? Yes. Yeah, I don't know exactly why. Oh, I guess because uh, yes, I do know why. Because it's got the Barbie um, movie is coming out, and you know, I feel like there's I a lot could, of discussion, a lot of mention of Barbie pink. I was just going to say, I feel like the movie must have come out because people keep talking about it, but I don't think it has come out. No, it's coming to the theaters July 21. Oh, good. Yeah. And okay. the same day, I guess, that Oppenheimer's coming out. So it's Oppen- Barbenheimer. Well, do you know something? who's jumping on Oppenheimer? Apparently, the Institute of Advanced Study right. is getting out front the notion that uh, the fact that Oppenheimer was the head of the Institute of Advanced Study. So yeah. they're, well, they're they, jumping you know, on the they, bandwagon. They're marketing the... Uh... <laughs> they might want to want to see the movie first before they do that, but uh, they're pretty confident, I guess. It puts them in a positive Speaking light. of Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, right. Um, so anyway, so a lot of talk about pink. And it turns out, of course, the color pink goes out, goes back, like, uh, you know, in popularity for thousands of years, but it really basically starts out as a color that um, uh, is equated with status mm-hmm. and power, and it's a pretty masculine color. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Japan, during the Heian era, era, 794 to 1185, the elite wore pink to convey refined feelings, such as this exquisite sadness inspired by the transient beauty of the cherry blossoms. This is one of those articles, historically speaking, uh, in the Wall Street Journal by mm. Amanda Foreman. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, you know, and then she goes on to describe how, uh, you know, uh, Fra Angelico used pink, etc. But here's what I think is interesting. And, you know, uh, you know um, pink uh, reached its apogee in the Rococo period. We know that. Pink was the color. Everything was about pink. Um, but did you know it wasn't until the 20th century that pink lost its masculine overtones? All right. As late as 
1918, the British Ladies' Home Journal advised mothers to dress their little boys in pink, Mm -hmm. a more decided and stronger color, and their girls in blue, which is more delicate and dainty. So that just, uh, you know, brings to mind how subjective are, you know, and how, um, you know, sort of bound to fashion are notions of uh, what color means uh, in to us. I mean, we, we pretty strongly think of pink as a girlish feminine color. Not so much. In 1937, the avant-garde designer, Elsa Schiaparelli, challenged the masculine norm of pink as a color for men, right? Yeah. Uh, by packaging her new, new perfume, which she called Shocking, in a pink box. What year is it? 1937. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and after that, and then, of course, Mamie Eisenhower, famous for loving well, pink. you know, there was a, a song actually called Pink in uh, War Pink, the Broadway musical about Elizabeth Arden. Right. And Helena Rubinstein. Right. And uh, about, now, I don't know enough about makeup to say, but from one of them. Developing. Yeah, I guess with Christine Ebersole. Yeah, no, it was Christine Ebersole and Patti Lapone. Christine Ebersole must have played Helena Rubinstein. No, no. She was Elizabeth Orden. And I, I think Elizabeth Orden's signature product was almost everything was pink. It was her signature color. And pink was just the theme throughout all her cosmetics, supposedly. So I know. During what period? The 50s, 60s, around there. All right. So, yeah. So it was gathering steam during yeah. that time, which makes sense because, um, you know, Mamie Eisenhower yeah, was right. popularizing it exactly. in the White House, right. et cetera. Um, so, and then, you know, in the when the first Barbie doll was released in 1959, uh, Mattel balances her liberated can-do persona by cocooning her in a feminine color. She could fly to the moon as long as the rocket ship was pink. So I think that's not perhaps the perfect uh, analysis. Maybe it was, in a way, more liberated for her to... Liberated for whom? Barbie. I, I, yeah, I can't really engage on that. Okay, uh, neither can I. Um, so anyway, so I, I just thought that's funny. The truth is, pink looks good on everyone. Yeah, yeah, sure. Is what uh, Amanda ends up saying, which is true. I mean, uh, the popularity of the pink... The men's pink dress shirt. Yeah, I mean, the question is... You've had pink shirts. Yeah, you like And you look great in the pink is, you know... Makes you look less pale, really. Yeah, it's flattering to the skin tones. Yeah, I don't know why that is. For a variety of, uh, you know, skin tones. So, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I... uh, And at the end of it, she mentions Pantone's color of the year, hot pink called Viva Magenta. Okay. All right, so um, let me just close with two, sort of talk about sports for a second in connection with the Mets. Um, But here's something that came from over the transom. Uh, I don't know how the Times is going to recognize this, but word is that the New York Times is dropping its sports section. Completely? Yes. Uh, I mean, to my mind, they dropped it about 11 years ago, but they're dropping it and saying, no, we, we publish The Athletic now. So if you need sports, just go to The Athletic. Now, 
that makes a, a lot of sense in a lot of ways because the time sports section is is terrible uh, and they don't really care about it. And the guy, Kurt Streeter, their editor of sports, hates sports. Uh, so uh, I make it tell you what he wrote about today, but it's just consistent with the notion about, you know, why are we going to the All-Star game? You know, the sport is terrible. It's that, you know, it's that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it's interesting. They dropped it. So, uh, I know the Times is sort of shrinking right before our eyes. But in this case, the athletic's pretty good. Let me just say that. Athletic's good. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't mind it. As long as they don't hire, you know, the same editors to work at the athletic, I'm, I'm cool with it. Um, but there was an interesting article about the New York Mets in the Times. Of course, it wasn't in the sports section. Mm-hmm. It was in the op-ed section. And by our old buddy, uh, David Brooks, of all people, um, wrote an interesting article called Why I Still Love the New York Mets. And um, I, first of all, I was interested and pleased to know that David Brooks is a fairly serious op-ed guy for them. And he has his you know pluses and minuses. But I was uh, pleased and interested that he's a Met fan. Always good to have uh, no people who are Met fans. And, uh, of course, you, when you talk about the Mets as a Met fan, you talk about getting comfortable with heartbreak. And as he puts it, every heartbreak pinions me closer to the team. At game time, I flick on the MLB app and tune in. Sounds familiar. The worst days are not the days they blow a five-run lead. The worst days are the off days when I don't get to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then it goes on about some stuff which is really neither here nor there. But he makes an observation at the end, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and that is this. Uh he says that in life and in sports, uh, well, yes, in life and in sports, people want to experience the rapture of being fully alive with struggles, with defeat and misery and resurrection, heroism and enchantment. This is what the happiness industrial complex doesn't get. We don't watch sports. We don't watch the Mets for happiness. We watch for drama. I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to Matt. I mean, uh, surely at an intellectual level, I know the Mets are going to disappoint. I know they're going to lose. But I'm watching for drama. And, uh, you know, I think he's put his finger on it. So there you go. Okay. So you have to give, you know, the Times its props when they write something interesting on sports. And that's that. All right. So that's uh, all we have in a very busy week. Right? Great. All right. So uh, until next week, this is Dan Apuhoff. And uh, this is Tamson Granger. I knew you'd with... figure it out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I felt sure you would have more obituaries or something. Yeah, it's other stuff to do, but we, we, we've talked enough. Okay. It's time uh, to go move on. All right. All right. Uh, with uh, Tamson and Dan, read the paper. We're, um... We'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye.